Hello, and welcome to Still Learning. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. So let's get started, because no one's perfect, and we're all still learning. Hi, Maria. Hi, Katie. In this episode, we're going to discuss the basics of conscious discipline and how we use it in both the classroom and in our homes. And how we decided that it made sense to make conscious discipline episode number three was because we kept mentioning it in episode one, where we talked about separation anxiety. And the question came up with, you know, children asking, am I safe mm-hmm. while experiencing separation anxiety? Then again, in episode two, it popped up when we were talking about creating relationships with children and families in our program. And we kept talking about how we create connection before we even um, try to implement routines and how we make connection with our own children while they were experiencing after school restraint collapse. So kind of came like a full circle that, yes, we both agree episode three would be a great idea to do it on conscious discipline. Mm-hmm. So conscious discipline is huge, right? They have a whole website. They have a fabulous Instagram with lots of experts and uh, resources that have been well-researched and um, give great, great examples of exactly what to do. We should probably start out by stating that neither of us are... um, certified, I think is what it's called. We're not certified um, conscious discipline instructors, but the basics are so easy to bring into the classroom, to bring into your home. You're probably doing some of this stuff already um, in your homes, but we wanted to talk about the brain. So I don't know about you, Maria, but when I was going to school for education, I loved all of the brain stuff, all of the developmental stuff that we got to learn. Um, and so conscious discipline breaks it down that way by talking about children's brains, um, and for that matter, human brains, and broke it down into three sections. So the most basic section of the brain is the brainstem. So that's what develops first when uh, babies are turning from cells into fetuses. uh, It's the survival state that we kept talking about the, am I safe? So the only way to soothe a child who is in this survival state is through creating a sense of safety. No matter what you say, nothing is going to change unless the child feels completely safe. We usually tell people, again, we're not instructors, but we know enough to know that if you're new to this, say maybe you're a a guest teacher or something in our classroom, if a child is in their brainstem, you're better off not saying anything to them. Just hold them, maybe say, you're safe, I'm with you, those kinds of phrases, or nothing at all. Um, it will help. It seems like you're not doing anything, but you're doing a lot because you're creating a sense of safety. The next system that um, conscious discipline breaks the brain down into is the limbic system. So that's kind of the mid part of the brain. It's referred to in conscious discipline as the emotional state. And this is where you can talk to the child. So this is likely where they go um, in their brain when they're first starting to become upset. 
they're wondering, am I loved? So a good example of this would be, they just hit their brother and they look at you like, oh no, do you still love me? Even though I just did that. So we want to soothe this upset state through connection. You want to teach your child, say to your child, I love you. And I need to help your brother right now, for example, if, if it was just a hit <laughs> um, that happened. So um, you, you can talk to them. They're listening. They're responding. They haven't gone into that brainstem that am I safe, that fight or flight mode yet. So prior to that, there's not really any um, fear, I guess, or question on the part of the child when they are in the prefrontal lobe. This is a very special part of the brain that takes a really, really, really long time to develop. So it's not fully developed. Oh gosh, research says a bunch of different things. What do we want to land on, Maria? Uh, in your 20s? <laughs> By the time you're 30? <laughs> I don't know. That's questionable. <laughs> it really does depend on the person. And I don't mean that in a cruel way. I mean that every brain is different and brains develop differently. So the prefrontal lobes are not going to be developed um, until adulthood, bottom line. So children are, are maybe asking, what can I learn from this when they're in that state? Um, and you can see because it's not fully developed how they so quickly go to, am I safe? Or if something happened prior where maybe they did feel like they were in trouble, they're going to jump to that limbic system and that wondering and questioning. Um, it's easy to do when you don't have a fully developed frontal lobe. So this is executive functioning, right? This is an executive state of the brain. Um, it's for problem solving and learning. And so, like I said, all brains are different, right? So we have lots of young children who are really great problem solvers and maybe their brains are more able to ask, what can I learn from this before going into, let's call them lower levels of the brain, more basic levels of the brain. Um, the last thing that I want to mention is just that again, conscious discipline is so huge, but the most basic way to explain it is that the adult is responsible for staying in control of their emotions while helping the child deal with the emotions that they're experiencing. So you have to kind of figure out which state your child is in and then approach calmly and reach them wherever they're at. One thing I want to add, Katie, earlier, you mentioned something about being in the first state, you know, am I safe and having guest teachers or even student teachers in our classroom and mm -hmm. saying when the child is in that state, just being there and giving them space or yes. if they want that physical touch, you know, holding them in your lap. Um, it often appears, like you said, you're not doing anything and, you know, it's, I feel like it's really hard to explain until you understand the brain. So going back to, again, what you talked about the brain. I remember when I was the student teacher and just started at the school, and oftentimes I was told by my cooperating teacher, oh, you're such a natural at conscious discipline. And I kept thinking the first day, 
what is she talking about? I've never heard the word practice discipline before <laughs> I started student teaching. Because like you said, you take all these classes and yes, you learn about brain and development, but you know, not, it's not a universal thing that necessarily every university teaches. So then I had to go and recognize that and, you know, get educated. But it's so interesting when all the pieces of the puzzle make sense, the brain and the strategies and um, the research behind it all comes full circle and you become comfortable in implementing it and not just being a natural, but also understanding um, the brain development behind it as well. Mm -hmm. What's happening to the child. Yes. Correct. Yes. Um, along with conscious discipline come some um, common misconceptions about it. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I hear from people, what, what do you mean? What you just explained sounds like there are no consequences. But reality is that conscious discipline does have effective consequences instead of traditional consequences. So something that um, we might be even familiar from, you know, our own childhood, such as timeouts. Timeouts are a quick fix. Um, and it doesn't really motivate the child to create permanent positive changes in their life. Um, we teach these through safety and connection, and we try to give children tools needed so that they can get from that survival state through the emotional state to the executive state so that um, they can do their best. And that's where all the um, learning happens when they reach the executive state. Mm -hmm. So... Maria was talking about the timeouts and at our school where we use conscious discipline, we have a safe spot. Um, if you look on the conscious discipline website, they call it safe place. I guess we liked the alliteration. alliteration. <laughs> we liked the alliteration of safe spot and we describe it often as the opposite of a timeout. So it's a choice. It's a comfortable mat with pillows. It happens to be underneath our family wall where children have their family photos posted. We have books over there about feelings, soft pillows for them to cozy up with. And there are rules and boundaries. So the child chooses to go to the safe spot. The child is never put in the safe spot. So again, it's the opposite of a timeout where you would be put in timeout. It's offered as a choice. Children learn that the rules of the safe spot are that it's not a place to play with toys because we need to leave it available for someone who needs it when they're feeling, we usually say sad or mad. Um, obviously, there are more feelings than that when one might choose to use the safe spot, but it makes sense to a child who is fully operating in their um, frontal lobe that we need to leave it available for big feelings. And when you choose to go to the safe spot, you are supposed to be able to be by yourself. So as adults in the room, teachers do go and periodically check on a child in the safe spot and just say things like, are you still okay? Do you need anything? You know, maybe they want their water bottle or a tissue, or we know this child has a comfort item from home, but it's in their backpack and we can offer to go and get that for them when they're uh, having their big feelings. But we, we don't try to get them out of the safe spot either. That's their choice as well. But we might say things like, 
uh, in the past when I've noticed a child who was calming down and kind of observing other children in the classroom, I might walk over and say something like, when you're ready, come on out and play with us. We're going to be doing X, Y, and Z and give an example of what activities or materials might be another alternative to staying in the safe spot. When my daughter was younger, I created a safe box that I would bring with us to restaurants. So this was just post pandemic and my children had not been out very much because of that. Um, they were also really, really young. So they hadn't been out because we weren't ready <laughs> to take them out. But <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Based on what we do at school, I developed this box that is no joke, a plastic cheap pencil container that I ordered from Amazon. Um, I have two children. It was a two pack. It was a win for me. So I ordered those along with a bunch of fidgets. So ones that just flip and turn, ones that make little clicking sounds, uh, soft, squishy things, a whole bunch of different materials that were easy to clean, easy to bring with us, fit in the box. And it made waiting for food or waiting for a server to come over so much better for my husband and I, because we had a way to entertain our child at that point, And now our children, we've included now crayons and paper because you don't always get that at restaurants. Or even if you do, maybe you want other colors. So I have all the colors of the rainbow. We have poppers in there now. Um, of course, the phone comes out sometimes, but we were trying to avoid that. And so this just kind of gave us some additional materials and I've used it to this day. My children are now two and four and they still, they know that I have just in my purse now a bunch of materials that I kind of rotate out. I start maybe with the paper and crayons. And then when I see that they're kind of losing interest in that, I offer something else and it keeps them entertained until the food comes. And making them a part of that process, right? Saying like, oh, it seems to me like, you know, this is not as interesting anymore. What else could we put next time, you know, that we're going to a restaurant that you would like to use? I find that like magic with my children, involving them in the process, right? And I'm sure you do too, Katie, and giving them that voice and giving them the power to contribute to this idea as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, when you talked about the safe spot, it made me think of how a safe spot, safe spot might be a choice while handling conflict in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about that um, and this simple phrase that we use when conflict occurs in our classroom. Oftentimes we have children who are having some of their first social interactions with their peers mm -hmm. in our classroom. And, you know, they will obviously report to the teacher because they're most comfortable with us saying, oh, so-and-so pushed me. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing that quick fix that we talked about earlier, um, I could say, I could resort to saying, yeah, say sorry. He didn't mean it. Okay, move on and go blank. <laughs> but that's not developmentally appropriate. And that's really not teaching either of the children any skills that they can use later on. So one um, 
powerful question that we use is we say to the child when the child says, so-and-so pushed me. We say, well, did you like it? And Mm -hmm. they'll say, no, tell them or tell him or tell her. And they kind of look at you and, you know, we try to model using and really empowering them to use this big voice when giving this message. I did not like it when you pushed me. And then telling, giving the other child words to say, okay, I won't push you again. And so much more effective than the quick, sorry, so that the child knows exactly what the expectation is as well. Um, Oftentimes we use powerful questions when we talk about turn taking with materials. Uh, So, you know, a child comes and takes something out of another child's hand and we'll say, again, you can still resort to, did you like it? No. Well, tell them I'm using it. So the child will say, I'm using it. And then going back to the child that wanted the material and giving them the powerful question of saying, um, can I have a turn when you're done? Mm-hmm. Just the way that question is phrased, it's you know not like, can I have it now? But it's, can I have a turn when you're done? It, it's not limiting and it gives that child a choice. And I would say so many times, it's like a, a little button, you all you like, you just feel the tension, <laughs> you know, getting lower. And it's like, yeah, you can have it when I'm done. And then that's when we as the adults step in. And it's very important that we follow through so that when we, you know, I, it might be verbal where I'll say, okay, remember, when you're done, you're going to give it to Jessica, for example, mm-hmm. and then following through and seeing that when that child is done that toy really does end up in Jessica's hands as well thinking about conflict and how we handle that I wanted to talk about sibling conflict as well um, a situation <laughs> a special that thing. <laughs> yes a very different thing because when sibling sibling conflict happens in my house um that very much triggers me and pushes my buttons in a different way that um classroom conflict happens and all of my knowledge and conscious discipline implementations and strategies go out of the window. (laughs) So I wanted to share this specific story where it was sometimes last winter. So lots of, you know, inside time and after school and hanging out and my children were playing and all of a sudden they both were pulling on the same large vehicle. I think it was like a fire truck. And I just heard, I'm using it. No, it's mine, mine, mine. And instead of, you know, taking the vehicle and holding it in my hand and saying something like, oh, is there a problem here? Or sounds like there's a problem here. And then, you know, giving them the language. I just quickly went over there, pulled the toy out of their hands. And I was not in the right state of mind. And I just yanked it so hard that the fire truck flew all the way across the room into our wall and made this huge hole in the wall. Oh no. And in that moment, it was about much more than the hole in the wall. It it really was an eye-opening experience for me to check in with myself, to see that there are so many unmet needs on my part as the Mm grown-up. So going back to the beginning of where you talked about that it's really about us staying, being conscious of our feelings and where we are at. And this was not that. I (laughs) I lost it. 
and everyone was scared, including myself. And, you know, and it, it took a lot of um, fixing and talking to my children and being honest about what just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that honesty sure helps, but you are absolutely right. When we were talking about giving examples about how this works in our homes, my first thought was, well, not as well as at school. It's <laughs> just different. We, we talk a lot, especially at parent-teacher conferences, about how children behave differently at school because we never wear the mom hat. Um, we don't ever have to wear the dad hat because we're both female, but we, we don't wear a parent hat for these children. So the behavior is different. But in our homes, we're the safe person. Their siblings are there. Sibling relationships are so different than peer relationships. And I had two very different situations within days of one another. I was trying to remember back last spring or over the summer, I was at home by myself for one reason or another. And I was with both both of my kids and they both had big feelings at the same time. And that can be so overwhelming as a parent. I know I have to handle it. I have the research behind conscious discipline that I've used so often in the classroom. And in the first instance, I was on. I hugged both of my children. They need, they like needed me. They were both on my body. I wasn't even comfortable. I was on the floor (laughs) in this instance, but I did what I had to do. I stayed calm. However I did it, I don't know. But while it was happening and my children were just wailing, I thought to myself, you're doing really good. (laughs) I was kind of talking myself up. You're doing really good. You're staying calm. Um, I thought of myself in that moment as regulated and it helped my children to calm down. I don't know if it was um, conscious discipline on their Instagram or if it was somebody else's, but I saw this kind of situation equated to children needing to borrow some of your calm. So that's what they were literally doing. I was being calm. They needed it. They didn't know how to change to calm. They needed to borrow it from somewhere else. They borrowed it from me. In this instance, it was successful. A few days later, the universe um, gifted me with a situation that was exactly opposite. So yeah, good for me. I did that one time. (laughs) And then the very next time, while I didn't end up with a hole in my wall necessarily, everybody's everybody's feelings were hurt anyway, because for whatever reason, I was not as regulated. I was super triggered by whatever was going on, probably too much noise input, or I had my own agenda of needing to do the laundry or the dishes or whatever it might've been that I decided I needed to do. And when my children needed me, I started yelling instead of being calm. 
and everything got louder and everybody was upset and it spiraled and spiraled and spiraled before I, as the adult, had to decide to stop it and say something like, I need a break. I need to take some deep breaths. We're all yelling at each other. You know, I don't like this. Um, and then kind of starting over with a reset. And I see lots of posts about this. And I'm so thankful to anyone out there who has ever posted, shared, <laughs> created any content that is the reality of this situation of being home with your kids because it it is triggering we're all learning we're all growing and sometimes you do get into those situations where you're yanking the toy out of their hand or you're yelling at them with them and you just have to as the adult decide to say i don't like how this is going i'm going to take a break and when I come back, we're going to start over and then come in with the calm and say all the right things. But man, did I mess up at first? And then the important part was, like you said, you went back. I did too. And I talked to my children about that. I don't know what happened to me. I got so mad and they laugh. I don't know about your boys, but my children laugh when I talk about that, that that happens to me. My older one, he will say, yeah, you were really mad. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of giggle and, and, but I know they're listening. I know they're going along with it and they're starting to understand that I'm a person too. And I have feelings too. And sometimes my feelings, this is what I tell my children. Sometimes my feelings get too big too. And I forget how to be in control of them. So sometimes I have to take a break. And I think that that just teaches them, you know, I made a mistake. Here's what I did to fix it. So they do see that process. Um, again, like you were explaining, Maria, maybe it was days later, but when you cool down, if you talk yeah. about it with your children, it's the word, so powerful. The word I wanted to say earlier, and I, I was like, what is the one word? Repair was the word. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say, not only did I, you know, we go back and repair the hole in the wall, but we also repaired, you know, my connection with them. But in that yeah. very moment, when it happened, I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't executive part of my brain so I remember just holding them and crying with them at this moment and just saying just giving the words of affirmation like we're safe you know oftentimes in a classroom we'll use that phrase and tell children that are missing their grown-ups and we'll say you're safe you're safe here but I implemented that in that very moment and just twisted it to work the situation where we are safe because I also needed to know that I was safe for my own feelings at that yes moment. Yes. And I, I use that phrase at my house too, when I'm in that state of repair with my children, because their home and their grownups should be safe places for them. And when you recognize that that's not how they were feeling and they were asking that question, that am I safe question, you do have to come back and explicitly tell them, I was having big feelings 
even when I say, I don't know what happened because sometimes I don't, I, feelings come out of nowhere. Children can at least understand that part of it. Yes. I don't know what happened, but I got so, so mad that I couldn't even think. And then when I could think we took a break, you know, remind them of the good stuff. We came back, we took some deep breaths together. We talked about it. And I want you to know you're always safe with me. And I'll even ask my daughter because she's four now. I tell her a lot of times that phrase that we talked about, you're, uh, you're safe with me. Your feelings are safe with me. I'm not afraid of mad, sad, et cetera. I'll ask her in those moments of repair, my feelings are safe with you, right? My big feelings. And she always says yes. And I'm so thankful for that because that's what I'm trying to create at home is a safe place for all of us to be who we are. And sometimes that's an angry person, but it's, it doesn't last forever and we work through it. Right. And you learn so much from the process. And just like you mentioned, oh, you know, there are so many accounts that now are being transparent about what is the reality of um, being around children whose brains are still developing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always want to give out the shout out to the accounts that are also there that say, you don't want to, to stop the children from being angry or being mad, but you want to teach them the how to, right? So, oh gosh, yes. So important that that one always stands out to me. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there doing it, yes, <laughs> shout out to you. One last tip, Katie, I wanted to share about conscious discipline. That's like most basic and simple thing that anyone can really implement is telling the children what you want to do instead of what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so for some of the examples are, you know, if you're going into a grocery store and you're saying, oh, don't you dare touch anything in this grocery store, <laughs> then you're focusing on what you don't want them to do. And all they hear is, you know, touch. <laughs> so guess what they're doing? But if you reframe it in a positive way, saying something like, keep your hands in your pockets, um, then that command became assertive and it's giving usable information, something that they can actually do. Um, if you use the word don't in it, it's not really usable because it doesn't tell them what they can actually do. So something with siblings like don't hit your brother then becomes when you want your brother to move, say move, please. So an assertive approach says something like do this. And it's very clear. It's also respectful. And there's no doubt in your voice that this is just a simple command it doesn't have any, um, it's not passive, it's not aggressive, it's just assertive. Mm-hmm. Um, when talking about assertiveness, it made me think of my older son who had a really, really hard time with parking lots and, you know, establishing that it's my job to keep him safe and that we walk in parking lots was really hard for him. And as soon as we would get him out of the car, he would go, you know, he would have the need to run. So then we would talk about how, now we are at the point where we have to hold his hand so that he's safe when he's walking in the parking lot. So we would, you know, unbuckle him from his car seat and establish that eye contact first, making sure we're on his level, making sure that he's noticing us and then verbally tell him, hold my hand so you're safe when we walk in the far- parking lot. I would then, you know, offer my hand so that he can touch me. He can see it's very gentle. It's very genuine. I'm saying it in a soft voice. Um, 
so that he understands what the expectation is. And then in the moments where he would reach for my hand when we set him down and hold me, I will celebrate his success and say, oh, you're reaching for my hand so we can walk across the parking lot safely. Yay, you know, or hooray, you're doing it. You're holding my hand. So just stating the what he's doing. But then there were instances that I would set him down and he would try to, you know, move away so that he doesn't have to hold my hand. And in those instances, it's really hard, but it's very important that we follow through. So I'll say things like, I'm going to help you. This is hard for you. I'm going to show you what to do. And then, you know, taking his hand, putting his hand in my hand, holding it and just verbalizing it. I am helping you right now. There were times where he was pulling away and he would yell in the parking lot, you are hurting me, you're hurting me. And then I have all these strangers looking at me like, uh, what's going on? Is she kidnapping the child? You know, like, no, it's not here. So I'm just very conscious announcing to everyone, oh yeah, you are forgetting that we walk in the parking lot. So I am helping you get you know, to the store safely. I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to walk and just narrating. Um, yes, for anyone else that might be questioning what's happening in the moment, um, but also for my own child as well. We talked about a lot and there's a lot more to learn. So we plan on including our resources and we will add a link to discipline tips from Conscious Discipline to our Instagram. We hope you found this episode helpful. You can find us on Instagram by searching for the Still Learning Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and join us next month for a new topic. We're teachers and moms who are navigating this journey just like you. Because no one is perfect. And we're all still learning. (laughs) 